touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland, and today I have a special guest host, Christian Sager, writer and host extraordinaire. Uh, he's the guy who tells me what things I should say on, <laughs> on certain videos. Yeah, I put the words in your mouth on brain stuff and yeah. sometimes on what the stuff. I don't know if you've done one of my what the stuff scripts. But... So anytime you see me on video and you think, wow, Jonathan seems particularly well spoken, it's probably because Tr- Christian wrote the, the words. Oh, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, you, you ad lib all the big words. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I just make them up. <laughs> that's all, that's all it's. It, but I, when I asked Christian if he would come on to the the show, uh, you agreed, and you you know I I gave you the choice like can you you want you can pick anything you want that's tech related, and you came back with something that was really interesting because uh, uh, I know that this is an area that you have followed quite a bit. Uh, I am sort of only tangentially connected to this. I get a lot of it through osmosis. I am talking about digital comics, mm-hmm. and so the uh, the. The digital world, the digital um, uh, revolution, you might call it, really shook up a lot of established industries. Uh, right. Yeah. Especially in areas like our own in terms of content. Creation. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Everything. We've seen it so many times, right? We saw it first and foremost, I'd say we saw it with the music industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, iTunes was incredibly disruptive. We saw lots of different companies resist that as much as they could in various ways, often by putting uh, terrible DRM onto files. Right. Yeah. Which is something we'll talk about with digital comics. Right. It's still going through those growing yeah. pains. Yeah. One nice thing I'll say is that as far as I am aware, no one in, in digital comics has uh, installed DRM that would create a uh, – critical vulnerability in your computer system. Oh. Unlike what Sony did with their music. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't think so. I have yet to hear about anything like that. But you know, I yeah. wouldn't put it past some some publishers. Right, right. <laughs> I, I would hope they wouldn't do it on purpose at least. Right. But uh you know, we've also seen it in film, we've seen it in television, we've seen it in publishing in general mm-hmm. with uh Amazon, the Kindle, the and and the Nook and all of that uh the e publishing pure but now we're seeing it also in uh, in comics. And when I think digital comics, there are two things that come to mind. Either I'm thinking about comics that are uh, produced digitally. Right. And then they may be printed in hard format or they may be distributed that way or just strictly the distribution. And we're really going to be talking about the distribution side today. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, like digitally made comics started in probably like the early 90s, I want to say. But that's not what we're going to be talking about today. And in fact, like almost all comics have some kind of digitally made component nowadays. Pretty much everybody colors digitally now. Yeah. Um, And letters digitally as well. But um, no, yeah, we'll be talking about the distribution. And I, I want to clarify, too, that digital comics and web comics are two different things. Right. Digital comics are comics that you would maybe find uh, in a print edition. Not mm-hmm. always. There are some digital first editions, but that are distributed in digital means, either through an app or a PDF. And we'll talk about, you know, the different uh, means of distribution later. Mm-hmm. But web comics are really comics that are hosted on websites and are meant to be read on a desktop. Yeah. Uh, we actually, way back in the day, Tech Stuff did an interview with uh, Chris Straub, 
who's a web comics artist. And we okay. talked about web comics then. So if you guys are interested in the subject of web comics, check that old episode of Tech Stuff out. But we're really going to talk about this distribution model and the the, con- the consuming, like how you consume the comics, right? right? Yeah. So yeah. it's not just how how they are distributed, but how the the audience is able to uh, experience that stuff. And uh, clearly, one of the big things that has really fueled this is the move to the mobile platform. I mean, yeah, I know there are people out there who still will read comics on their laptops or desktops, but that tends to be uh, it, it's not ideal. For it's one, difficult. Yeah, when I um when I was working on my thesis in college, it was about comics, and I had to read something like three hundred comics for this thesis, mm-hmm. and it was before I had a mobile device, so I was like flipping a laptop on its side right. and reading a PDF, uh, like in my lap upside down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not not ideal because as as you were pointing out right there, just but from that description, the layout of a typical monitor is where you've got you've got that uh landscape layout rather yeah. than portrait yeah and portrait's really what you need to experience a comic book in the way the format that we're used to here in the united in states print format yeah. yeah and and that is something that both web comics and digital comment comics have and are experimenting with yeah um there are some digital comics that are designed specifically for digital and are in landscape format mm-hmm. and have uh, an interesting design in that their panel to panel transitions, you wouldn't be able to get away with it in print because they would be so slow, but like it'd be the same image. And all of a sudden a word balloon would pop up on, as, as you scroll to the next one. Right. So it's almost like a, a cross between very slow animation and, uh, and, and print comics. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, I guess the next step will be interactivity where it becomes. Oh, they're there. Like- yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Marvel is already, they're all over it. Every South by Southwest, they announce all this interactivity stuff that they're going to uh, embed into their digital comics over the next year. And then like half of it happens. Like, yeah, I like, can't, I can't wait to, to get my hands on it because I would love to have the moment where I, I go on and on to everybody about how the comics I have uh, manipulated makes so much sense and they're so consistent internally. And then after three issues say, this is hard. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, yeah. If, if comment, if comics only had the same comments fields that our YouTube <laughs> videos had, I can only imagine how horrible the, the well, things I mean, would be that people would write in there. Readers did kill off Jason Todd. So yeah, uh, yeah. there's, there's some, there's some, uh, uh, some uh, precedent for that. So, now that we have these mobile devices that are often in the layout that at least are, it can be, um, modified. A comic can be modified to fit it and perhaps in a way that, that is closer to the print editions that we're used to in the yeah. United States. Um, they, we really started to see the, the dig- digital comics industry kind of take off. And, uh, we'll talk a bit about how popular they've become. And I love that. In the notes, you, by the way, guys, you, we're going to be relying heavily on Christian's notes here, and and he is uh, an exhaustive note taker. <laughs> I I didn't have to lift a finger for this episode, so uh, I thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. I mean, it helps that uh, I so I used to write about comics for CNN before I worked at How Stuff Works, and mm-hmm. I did. Uh, articles and interviews with people in the digital comics world as it was sort of starting up uh, while I was over there and also self-published my own comics. Oh, and awesome. So, and I, I've worked with digital publishers. I've kind of gone through the system from the back end and I understand how it all 
the behind the scenes of it, how it works. In fact, I've, my graphic novel is currently in queue at Comixology. I'm waiting to try to get that up there for sale. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the things that's really cool about the, the digital approach is that it opens up a distribution process for people who otherwise wouldn't have that access. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So like uh without getting too far into it because we could spend hours talking about it, most print comics in the United States are distributed through a company called Diamond Distribution. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years ago, Diamond made a decision that they would not distribute books unless they could guarantee that they would sell, I think it was at least... I want to say $1,500 worth of copies, which mm. doesn't sound like a lot, but for some small press people really is. And so they lost the ability to distribute their small press books to mm -hmm. stores around the country unless they were local. Um, so, yeah, d digital has sort of replaced that for them, that they can get eyes all around the world on their books, no matter how small and unknown they are. Yeah. And it gives a an opportunity for discovery that wouldn't be there. Uh, we, and we can talk more about the potential for discovery, I think, toward the end of this. So the first big one that we need to talk about, the first big platform for digital distribution is Comixology. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I, that's probably one anyone out there who is familiar with digital comics. You probably you probably have this app. Uh, it's it's one of the most um, well-known and uh, it's been around for a while in various forms. The earlier ones were more of a... Uh, kind of a discovery tool and then became a digital reader further on in its existence. Yeah. Comixology, the company, if I'm remembering this correctly, they started off as sort of like a way to keep track of the comics that you bought at the store every week. And also it would allow you to know what was on the pull drawers yeah. of your various comic book shops. Yeah. So if you were, if you were in the, the market for a specific issue of a specific comic, you could go on there check it and they would have a database there essentially that would have all the comics listed right. at the various stores near you. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then giving you the addresses of course right. of the stores so you right. could go find them. Yeah, but it um they they released uh, their app for digital comics reading was called just comics. <laughs> and and no one that I know in the comic book world readers or creators ever referred to it as comics. They always just called it comicsology. Mm -hmm. And I think it was like maybe a year, year and a half ago that they finally gave up and were like, all right, fine. Comicsology is our <laughs> brand name. We're not going to fight it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So they've facilitated more than 200 million downloads. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And that's through desktop, tablet, phones, mm -hmm. you name it. Yeah. yeah. Through all the different platforms. Uh, it does not necessarily mean 200 million purchases uh we are talking downloads here same sort right. of thing like if you ever read a press release from a company that talks about how many units shipped units shipped and units sold are two different things uh but uh and apple says that comiXology is the highest grossing ios app that is not a game right so yeah so like stuff like candy crush is obviously like yeah. bigger than comiXology but uh in terms of content uh Comixology is killing it on iOS. Yeah. And has been for a couple of years now. Six billion pages of comic books and graphic novels. Mm -hmm. I think it's, uh, it's ranked 11th overall, or at least it was in 2013. Uh -huh. And, uh, we'll talk later about this, but, uh, 
Comixology and their new owners, Amazon, yeah. uh, ha- had a little bit of a kerfluffle with Apple earlier this year. So I'd be curious to see at the end of this year where they stand in those rankings. You know what? I want to talk about that for a second. So the kerfuffle you're talking about here is that uh, the way Apple's policy is, is that if you have an app and yeah. you allow in-app purchases, mm-hmm. Apple takes a cut of those purchases, of, yeah. the, of the fee. In the, in the case of Comixology, it was 30%, I yeah. believe. Yeah, I think that's yeah. it across the board for Apple. Is oh, okay. For any in-app purchase for any app that's in the Apple store, Apple gets a 30% cut. And yeah. uh, I, I don't know if you guys know this out there, Tech Stuff Land, but Apple and Amazon are kind of competitors in many ways. And uh, generally speaking, if you are producing something or you're distributing something, you want to be able to get as big a cut of that as you possibly can. This also is tough on creators because if you look at the slice of the pie that creators get from print versus digital, you would think, oh, well, with print, you take all those printing costs out. You take all those shipping costs out, all the the physical warehouse space. All of that is gone. Yeah. All you have is a file. You must be raking in a huge amount. Actually, no, that's not true. Right. Yeah. Because you're looking at the breakdown first between Apple and Comixology and then between Comixology and the creator. Right. Yeah. And so by the time you get down to it, it might be that the creator is actually making less per issue than they would with a print. That's a possibility. Yeah. Especially because usually the cost of digital comics is less than yeah. it would be for print. Yeah. And uh, so Apple and Amazon are kind of butting heads in that sense. So Amazon is looking at, uh, I think they've already done it where they're, uh, you would purchase the comics outside the app and then you could read them inside the app. Yep. Yeah. So, so they, they, uh, they modified the Comixology app. First of all, Amazon bought... Comixology, I want to say in March yeah. of, the, of 2014. I know it was the spring of 2014. Uh, and maybe a month, month and a half later, uh, Comixology announced that they were no longer allowed for in-app purchases mm-hmm. with it, within iOS devices. Interestingly enough, if you're on an Android device, you can still make in-app purchases. Huh. Um, uh, and I would suspect if you're on uh, a Kindle Fire, you probably can as yeah, well. I would imagine it's encouraged. Yeah. Um, but it basically works the same way as like an Amazon Kindle app would mm-hmm. work on an iOS device. Mm-hmm. And that like the same way you can't buy your ebooks through the Kindle app. You have to go to Amazon site, buy your book. And then when you go to the Kindle app, you can download it through your account. So it works the same way now with Comixology. Right. So that way they bypass the in-app purchase and yep. Apple doesn't get that 30 percent cut. So, yeah, uh, it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out politically, because Apple could say, well, we'll just make sure that this doesn't get featured in any way. So that exactly it's not we want might not necessarily remove it from the store, but we don't have to, you know, we don't have to profile it in the store either. And there were a lot of people in the comic book world who were up in arms about it when it happened as well, because they felt like that the in-app purchases allowed for more sort of, um compulsive buying sure uh or impulsive rather buying uh while you were reading like let's say you finished hulk number 12 and you said wow i immediately want to read hulk number 13 all you had to do is just hit a button and it would it would charge your credit card and enabled you yeah Yeah. oh totally and now you have to you know go to to the desktop version pay for it there and then download it in so they're worried i think they're worried about the money but i'll be mm -hmm. i'm very curious to see what the 2014 figures look like because 2013's numbers were very high 90 million dollars digital comics made yeah 
which was uh, uh, almost a 30% increase over the year before. If you look at year-over-year gains, it looks uh, the story seems to be negative if you were to just look at the percentages. Right. And it's only because you don't realize how young this industry is. So from year one to year two, it was a 700% increase. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you had like a 200-something percent increase, and then a 100-something percent increase, and now a 30% increase. And you're thinking, wait, that increase is going down. But you have to realize that that year one, that was like a million dollars. And year two was $8 million. So the figures, while, while the, the percentages are going down, the actual figures of money are, are much higher. We're talking 90 million now. That's a huge amount of money mm-hmm. for something that is still so young as this, this particular form of distribution. And it's still a smaller percentage than print holds in the oh, comic sure. book industry. Yeah. But it is gaining at the end of every year. When you see interviews with comic book creators or publishers or editors and they say what, you know, they're asked what their prediction is for the following year, they, they usually say digital is going to get bigger. Yeah. And it, and it always does. Right. Yeah. And the nice thing for, for the comics industry right now is that it does not appear to be taking a huge, like it's not taking that chunk out of the print side. Uh, I think that for one thing, the success of comics in other forms of media, mm-hmm. now granted, you know, we should say comics are go well beyond superheroes. Su- right. Superheroes yeah, is what we always think about because they are the high profile ones. But comics are, are all sorts of genres, not mm-hmm. just superheroes. But I would say that the superhero successes at the box office recently, Marvel in particular, have really helped drive more interest in comic books. Um, yeah. And and uh, interestingly enough, digital has had a hand in that as well, too. So, like, for instance, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, just I think I read today, it just hit seven hundred million dollars wow. uh, for for sales in 2014. Um, before Guardians of the Galaxy came out, they Marvel knew that that property was fairly unknown mm-hmm. amongst people unless they were like hardcore comic book fans. Right. And so through digital, they started publishing digital first only comics about the characters about rocket raccoon and Groot and star Lord trying to get people familiar with these characters for, they were either free or like super cheap, like 99 cents or mm-hmm. something like mm-hmm. that. So you would go, huh? I heard this guardians of the galaxy thing's going to come out later this year. I'll click on that, read that. And now I sort of have an idea of who this raccoon with machine guns is right. going to the movie. Yeah. yeah. Now I know, now I can understand how a raccoon can be an action hero. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and another interesting note you have here going back to comiXology is the comiXology submit program, mm-hmm. which allows the, the independent comics creators a chance at having their work featured and, and carried by Comixology. Yeah, so Comixology submit, I think they unveiled that two, two and a half years ago. It was, it was at a South by Southwest event. Um, and yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier in terms of small press being able to find a place to distribute their comics since Diamond, uh, raised their premiums. Um, yeah, so basically what you do, I've done it with one of my books. Mm-hmm. You submit your book, you upload the files, you, um, create an account through Comixology. You have to uh, have a an Amazon-synced payments account, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like a Kickstarter so far. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. a lot like that. And um, they will review it and determine whether or not the content is safe for them to distribute. Mm-hmm. So, um, for instance, uh, 
it, uh, one of my books actually got dinged for music copyright because we had lyrics from a song in there. Oh. And so uh, we haven't resolved that yet. But for instance, they wouldn't carry a book for that. But like I have a horror book that made it through. It's pretty it's pretty gory and mm-hmm. they're OK with that. Um, they format it specifically for their devices because they have a, a specialized, I guess it's exclusive to comiXology, system of reading called guided view technology, which yeah. is basically it zooms in on the panels no matter what you're on. If you're on a desktop or a tablet or a phone or whatever, it scales the panel to fit the screen of the device you're reading at the mm-hmm. time. So it's it's readable. And you can go panel by panel as opposed to page by page. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I read a person's account of that and they said it took some getting used to it first. It felt a little odd just because, you know, there's there's a certain way that you've become accustomed to reading comics. But once you get used to it, you really see the value in it. Yeah, I am definitely a convert. Um, I love guided view. Yeah. Um, not just because Comixology carries some of my books, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, I love guided view because it zooms in so close on the panels mm-hmm. that I can really see almost at life size the artist's renderings of mm-hmm. what, how they're working on stuff. Usually artists work at a much larger scale than what's printed. Right. And so you get to see it at the scale that they were drawing it at and the fine details that you normally wouldn't notice. And I really like that. Um, and the, it is it is interesting. It sort of changes the language of comics if you're talking about it in like a formalist perspective, because mm-hmm. before when you were reading comics, you were looking at all the panels on a page simultaneously, mm-hmm. but you were reading the panels in sequential order. Right. Whereas now, depending on the settings that you put in in, in guided view, you'll just see the first panel and then I'll scroll to the second panel. So you won't necessarily see what's at the bottom of the page right. unless you want to. So you could, in theory, as a creator... You could you could uh, bank on certain things actually being a surprise, right? Without it having without it requiring a page flip, right? Yeah, like if you right exactly what you used to have as page turn cliffhangers, yeah. you can now do within panel to panel if you if you so choose. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, uh, as as a storyteller, I really think that's neat to give extra tools like that. Uh, so we've got some other ones that you've listed here that we can kind of mention some of the other uh, platforms, some of which. Uh, were instrumental early on, but never really stuck around, some of mm. which are still around today. So why don't we go through some of those? Okay, so let's start with Longbox, uh, which was created by a comic book creator named, I think you pronounce his name, Rance Hosley. Mm-hmm. He uh, is most known for being the editor of, uh, it's a book called Comic Book Tattoo mm. that was a compilation of comic book stories based on Tori Amos songs. Oh, wow. But he's done other uh, comics work uh, for a, a number of years now. He developed the idea for Longbox back in 2007. Mm. And I remember being at, I was at uh, the Heroes Con convention in North Carolina pushing my books and he had, he had just done a panel about Longbox and everybody who went to that panel came running down to the floor and they're like, oh, my God, this is going to be the next big thing. This is going to be the big break for books. Wow. We've all got to sign up with this guy. And then it completely flopped. <laughs> um, it just I I don't know if it was technology issues or business related issues or what, but Longbox didn't come out at a pace that was competitive enough, competitive enough with comiXology. Mm. And it was largely focused on desktop reading rather than mobile and tablet reading. So I think in the end, that is probably what killed it. Yeah. Uh, and and it, I think he ceased running it as a company in 2011. Well, in, in 2007, that's the year when the iPhone 
came out. So, yeah. I mean, no one was predicting the huge move to mobile at that mm-hmm. time because there there had not been a smartphone to take off at least in the United States in the consumer marketplace. I mean, you had executives running around with blackberries and that right. was that was about yeah. it. And nobody was thinking about reading comics on their blackberries. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so and then of course the iPad like there had been tablet computers before but no one had made one that really appealed to the 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 general consumer. Yeah. That iPad wouldn't come out till 2010. And so. when the iPad came out uh, Comixology was already in business. Yeah. But, uh, I remember then too, when the iPad came out, a lot of people were like, Oh, this is going to kill print because everybody's going to move to digital. They're going to prefer the tablet and not having to have, you know, actual physical long boxes stacked up in their basement or their closet mm-hmm. somewhere and just mm-hmm. having their comics backed up on a hard drive. But. That hasn't necessarily happened yet. I, I Most think it's, digital readers still read print. Yeah, you can't really dismiss the like. There are people who really enjoy collecting. Mm-hmm. Like they they love to have the physical collection, the physical representation of the thing they love. There's an emotional attachment to that. Same thing is true for people who really love books. There are people who who will argue till the end of time that a physical book is going to be a superior experience than having something digital. Right. Uh, yeah. I used to be one of those people. <laughs> Then I moved into a house that has less space. And now I, <laughs> yeah. I trumpet the value of the electronic format. Yeah, I actually moved uh, completely digital with yeah. my comics. Other than uh, like hardbound exclusive editions that right. I can't download onto my device. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, about two years ago, I, I used to get all my comics through direct mail. Mm-hmm. And then I did the math and it turned out that it was going to be cheaper and faster for me to get them digitally. And I wasn't going to have to uh, fill up my closet anymore with all these books on a shelf. Right. The the downside being that you can't uh, one day end up selling your, your collection for some That's ridiculous true. amount of money. Yeah. 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 Even with uh some of the DRM stuff that we'll talk about later, I doubt that any of my the PDFs of my comics <laughs> are going to sell for anything. So uh another one that we have here is Graphically. Yeah. Graphically is a really interesting company. Uh and again I had personal experience with them. They they carried a book of mine as well. It was started by a guy named Micah Baldwin, who is largely known as the guy who coined Hashtag follow Friday on Twitter, but he, um, I've had some conversations with him, especially when I was working with graphically and, uh, for distributing my book. And he's, he's a really cool guy, but he sees himself as sort of like a startup mentor and helps mm-hmm. out other startups. Graphically, um, they again weren't really able to compete with comiXology in mm-hmm. terms of the publishers that they were getting exclusive rights to and how the, the their comics were read. The, the actual con- consumption of the product. So in April of 2012, uh, they emailed all of their uh, creators, and I received this email and said, hey, uh, we are turning into an ebook company instead. And so what we're going to do now is rather than have a digital comics platform for devices, we're going to offer uh, distributing your comics to all of the uh, more popular ebook platforms. Mm-hmm. So Kindle, uh, Kobo, is Kobo even still around? <laughs> Uh, I don't know that it's still around, but I do remember it. <laughs> yeah, Kobo, uh, they did Nook, mm-hmm. Google, and iTunes, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so if you were already one of their partners, they automatically did that for you. But if you wanted to submit a new book, you would pay a fee, you'd get an ISBN number, and they would distribute it to those uh, different systems. 
that didn't work out so well for them. They tried to sort of market it as a children's book market rather than comics, and that mm-hmm. didn't really work out for them. And in May of this year, they closed their doors. Uh, and the the stories that I've heard are that uh, they weren't acquired by this company, but that six of their remaining employees were hired by a company called Blurb that specializes in print-on-demand books. And then, uh, sadly, some of the creators have been kind of left out yeah, there have been uh, uh, a number of complaints that creators who were expecting payment from Graphically never saw uh, a, a check show up in their bank account or their direct deposit show up yeah. uh, for books that they sold through Graphically. And this this is kind of it, – it's sort of a microcosm of what you saw with the, the dot-com bubble burst too. Yeah. You see like a flood of competitors and then uh, – well, with the dot-com bubble, it was just suddenly confidence totally – was pulled away from the entire industry. Yeah. I mean, in the same way iTunes rose to the top of the MP3 game, I would say that uh, Comixology has sort of carved itself out, you know, right. a, a niche yeah. for, for comic digital yeah. comics. Yeah. I like that you have Iverse here because, of course, they, they distribute my favorite comic of all time. Archie? Yeah. Yeah. Archie <laughs> comics are getting to be awesome, man. Like there's been some really cool stuff that's been happening in the Archie universe lately. Like they have this horror book called uh, Afterlife with Archie. Yeah. That is, just, yeah. I love this stuff, but yeah. I remember hearing about the one about like looking into the future and, uh, yeah, there's some pretty crazy stuff they, going on. Yeah. They've been doing some really kind of progressive, uh, interesting stuff with Archie, but yeah. Things it's, you would not have predicted. No, not at all. <laughs> the past yeah. of Archie comics. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're uh, exclusively distributed through Iverse and their app mm-hmm. is called Comics Plus. And Iverse is another one that had difficulty competing with Comixology. They haven't closed their doors yet. And really like their the niche that they're trying to make for themselves right now is that they want to distribute comics to libraries as um, the same way that like uh, Overdrive distributes ebooks to libraries. Mm-hmm. And so they've uh, made a library edition of their app and they're marketing themselves pretty heavily to the library world. So we'll see if, if that plays out or not. A lot of it's going to depend on licensing with their publishers. Sure. Then you've got uh, Dark Horse where they have yeah. their own app. Yeah. Dark Horse is interesting in that unlike a lot of other companies who all just signed on with Comixology or Iverse or Graphically, Dark Horse said, hold up, we're not going to just jump into this digital comics game. And they waited and developed their own app. Mm-hmm. So, again, they're not having to split a percentage right. with that distributor. Right. They're, they're they keeping own a the... huge chunk of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, the uh, interesting thing there is that, you know, this is one of those deals that makes it tough to be a consumer in the sense that you can't go to a one-stop shop exactly. and get all the things you want. You have to have multiple apps if you are a true connoisseur of comics and you like lots of titles across lots of publishers yeah it makes it more complicated like with reading the comics themselves you have to really be aware of the landscape and the almost continuity of of uh where to get digital comics yeah because they're kind of all over the place right now then you've got electric comics that was just announced this year and they haven't actually as far as i know uh distributed or produced anything but it the the claim to fame is that alan moore who you know wrote watchmen and from hell and league of extraordinary gentlemen mm-hmm. is widely regarded as one of the best writers of comics mm-hmm. he is a uh, part of the team that is putting together electric comics along with his daughter leah moore and her husband john repian cool 
And then we've got this uh, self-published category here. Yeah, so some people have decided that rather than sign on with Comixology or or any of these other uh, distribution services, that what they'll do is they'll put out their own comics, but they'll do it uh, as PDFs. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's sort of like the Radiohead model of distributing an album digitally. Uh, And the, the... the two guys who are really at the forefront of this are uh, Brian K. Vaughn and Marcos Martin, who produce a book called The Private Eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their their digital distribution company is called Panel Syndicate. And so these are DM free, DRM free downloads of their books. You choose how much you pay for them, which wow. is an interesting yeah. model as well. And uh, and basically, uh, you can do whatever you want with the PDF once you've downloaded it. You can also get uh, – sorry, there are other formats too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I primarily read PDFs, but there's CBZ, uh, which is a, a, a comics reader type mm-hmm. type software. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because it does display both sides of the democratization of the web, right? Yeah, and but I would say this, like with Radiohead, the the reason why these guys are able to succeed is because they're both already big names in right. the world of comics. Brian K. Vaughn wrote for Lost. Yeah. And yeah. like uh you know, is uh, f- was fairly successful with with the books that he wrote for Marvel and independently and is still writing. He still he writes an independent book for uh Image right now called Saga that's incredibly successful. Mm-hmm. Uh and we'll talk about that later actually. Saga actually ties into some of this digital comics uh stuff. But the thing that's really interesting about the private eye, this is like maybe only a month ago, is they announced that they had made uh they they were vague about it, but they said six figures in terms of dollars that they'd yeah. made off of their book. And a number of downloads, which is pretty big yeah. for an independent comic book. Well, yeah, especially if you're with such a, a you know, a dramatic, uh, different approach to pricing. I mean, yeah. you know, the the fact that uh, it's one of those things that, that you, the cynic immediately thinks, oh, everyone's just going to go for the lowest amount. Or they'll free. pay a penny, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Or they'll wait till they're, they'll, they'll give their friend a nickel. And then the friend downloads it, and since it's DRM-free, they'll just copy copy it. it. Yeah, Yeah. But that's not what we're seeing, which is great. Um, I also like that it is a great illustration, like you point out. You know, these are guys who are known. So the average creator is not necessarily going to see any kind of success on the same level as what they saw. Right. Uh, And also it it shows that, um, you know, you can try and go it alone, but it is often a lot easier if you're using an established platform. We see this across all sorts of media as well. YouTube's a great example, right? I could create my own video, web video stuff, not use YouTube, but that's where the audience is. Right. And absolutely. that's that's where I'm going to get the most eyes. Um and it's also they've already done a lot of the work for me. So sure, if I if I try to monetize it, they're going to take a, a cut. Yeah, and they have a pre-built-in monetization system right. too, where which also like makes it easier. The, the Brian K. Vaughn and Marcos Martin are having to do their own books on this yeah. too. I would assume, right. or pay somebody to do it. For right, them. right. Which is another yeah. that's another expense and another another uh, thing that you're accountable for. Yeah. Uh, then we've got Marvel Unlimited. Yeah. So Marvel, both Marvel and DC. Uh, distribute their comics through Comixology and other platforms. But Marvel has this thing called Marvel Unlimited, which I'm a subscriber to. Mm-hmm. I just subscribed in the last couple of months and I've been enjoying it. Uh, it's $10 a month and you get access to almost their entire library up to six months ago of publication. So mm-hmm. you don't get comics that have been printed in the last six months, 
but everything before that. Um, there's some obscure stuff that isn't in there. If you're really hunting down for some weird comic Marvel published in 1968 or something like that, you might not find it. But there is a lot of content in there. And, you know, if you factor in that, like, the average print comic costs three ninety nine uh nowadays, mm-hmm. uh, if you just read three books on Marvel Unlimited a month, it's worth your money. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I've seen one of the biggest criticisms I've seen toward digital comics is not any sort of limitation uh, that is due to the technology. It's that you actually have the the potential to have an the, an entor- entire backlog available for purchase. So for those com- some those folks who want the complete collection of a title, yeah. Uh, you know, it may be prohibitively expensive or impractical for them to do that with a print edition. And they may be, they may just want to have, I just want this full story. I want this character arc or I want this, uh, incredible storyline that, that went through multiple issues, uh, from beginning to end. And I can't find it in the physical format. Or if I do, you know, one of those issues is ridiculously expensive. Right. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So especially the collector's item type stuff. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So this would be the opportunity for uh, companies to actually continue to make money off of old IP they have, intellectual mm-hmm. property that they have. Um, because for the most part, you, if you're going out to a comic book store and you see a copy of a comic that you really wanted and it happens to be a few hundred dollars, here's the newsflash. That few hundred dollars is not going to the company right. that published it. It's a used copy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this is a way for them to actually make money off of stuff they've already made. Uh, I imagine that the rights issues are probably pretty complicated with that too, depending upon how the contracts were formed for the various writers and artists. That is a story all on its own for the yeah, comics world. That would be a whole nother publica- uh, podcast. Yeah, Pro- we could, probably a whole nother show. Exactly, not an, an episode. episode. Yeah. That would be we could do comic stuff and have just a yeah, and and a, an arc of episodes that all talked about the complicated contract issues that have mm-hmm. plagued the comics industry. And as we were recording this last week, the uh, Kirby estate settled with yeah. Marvel, actually, yeah. which is pretty historic. Yeah, that was one of those uh, big stories for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So this is a, you know, it's not a huge shock to me that the entire backlog is not available. It is the dream, right, to have right. that yeah. that access where you can suddenly say, like, I, I, I've always been scared to ask people, but now I can finally find out what Secret Wars really was all about. Yeah. You yeah, know? there you go. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's very timely. They just announced this week that there's another Secret Wars what? coming out in 2015. They're doing a third one? Yeah. It would be the third one, right? They're not going to call it Secret Wars 3. Okay. Yeah, I think it's just being called Secret Wars, but yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. At least that's what the... If they're bringing the Beyonder the... back, I'm happy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At any rate, uh, well, so we talked a bit about the pricing. Uh, the pricing can range from around the same price as what you would find for the print book. Sometimes mm-hmm. you'll find it cheaper. Um and we also talked about how with the platform taking a cut and the distributor taking a cut and the creators getting a small cut, sometimes a small cut, that it, it can sometimes be less profitable for a creator than the print, depending upon the actual how that all falls out. Sure. It, and, and I will say this, though, too, that like once you've put your book on a platform, uh there aren't costs involved usually right. for you. You don't have to pay Comixology to put your book on their platform yet. 
cross your fingers. Yeah. Um, they just take a cut of whatever they, you make. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like, for instance, my book that's on there right now, uh, I think <laughs> I made like 40 cents off of it. Like, congratulations. Last quarter or something like I've, that. I've yeah. seen my, my dad's a writer. I've seen royalty checks about that amount. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not living off of it, but it, uh, <laughs> at least people are reading it. But the neat thing is that, you know, while you could say uh, the cut for a creator is smaller, the potential audience is larger. Like the the fact that, you know, you're going to find comic book stores that aren't going to carry certain titles just because they figure that their uh, readers aren't that interested. Or maybe they've only ordered a few copies of them and therefore there's not a whole lot for right. people who are yeah. interested. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um there is some regulation about what kind of comics can be distributed through Comixology's app. Sure. Um, but that is mostly due to content, graphic violence or sexuality, sure. stuff like that. But yeah, um, independent small press stuff is in there just as much as Wolverine and Secret Wars or whatever big, you know, uh, Superman, uh, title that you can think of. And, um, they're by and large, yeah, you could say that it's an equal playing field, but uh, those companies have part, you know, handshake deals with Comixology. They're sure. featured in the uh, the the really like hot click areas on the site or on the app, yeah, yeah. and uh, and they also have great sales. Yeah, um, every Monday Marvel does a sale where some Marvel series is 99 cents a book or something like that and pretty much every weekend there's a big sale from a number of publishers well and what's what's interesting there to me as well is that uh you know we could we could see a lot of implementation of especially now that amazon has comiXology seeing more implementation of the sort of algorithms that amazon uses to suggest uh alternate or or additional titles, things that you would like based upon the stuff that you already have shown an interest in. Yeah. Comixology and, did do that and does do that. But awesome. I, I think it's going to get better probably that's, as part of their acquisition. And that's fantastic. That yeah. that becomes a discovery tool. I mean, discovery is like the big thing for a lot of different uh, apps out there. And, uh, you know, it was a real buzzword for a while, but it, it's right. generally one of those things that I rely upon, like uh, whether it's Netflix, Amazon, whatever, uh, Pandora is a great example of of me discovering stuff I did not know about, but because of my my viewing habits or my consumption habits, right. I am I am almost guaranteed to enjoy. Yeah. So, yeah. and one of the things that's really uh, unique about digital comics, as well, at least in theory, is that we know that there is a stigma for certain readers of walking into a comic book store and buying a comic book. Yeah. Uh, and that they, for whatever reason it is, they may feel uncomfortable about doing that or, mm -hmm. and, and, f and for that reason, maybe quit reading comics years ago. Sure. With digital comics, you don't have that stigma because you're just sitting on your device. And right. so in theory, we're getting back an audience. A, a large part of that. And I mean, you know, we're, we're kind of, we were dancing around it right there, but a large part of that is the female audience. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know? Yeah. Um, there, right. You see all kinds of uh, one of my favorite sites that uh, focuses on comics and sci fi popular culture is the Mary Sue. Yes. And it focuses on it from a female perspective. Uh, and yes, they often joke about 
the ideas of what it's like to be a woman going into a comic book store. Right. Um, like, which, oh, you're buying this for your boyfriend. Yeah. And sometimes those are stereotypical and sometimes they are. It depends on your local comic book store. You yeah. Know? It depends yeah. on the culture and environment that they sure. build there. But sure. yeah. 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 A lot of it is based more on on kind of the generalized idea of what a comic mm-hmm. store is. I mean, we've. We've seen that depiction multiple times in various forms of media. There's obviously like the comic book guy from The Simpsons. Yeah, exactly. That stereotype right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've actually been in those comic stores, though. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was back in the 80s. Maybe they're a little better than that now. We've got a couple of comic book stores in Atlanta that I've seen uh, that seem to be pretty cool about that sort of thing. Atlanta has a decent comic book community, both in terms of creators and, and uh, uh, retailers. Yeah. I wanted to talk about uh, this regulation issue that you've you've laid out in the notes because it is really interesting. It's one of those things that uh, when you first think about it, you would think, oh, the digital approach would be uh, something that would free you up from right. the restrictions that you might face in a brick and mortar store. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the case. Right. Especially uh, when you're working together with big companies like Apple. Yeah. Um, so Apple is very careful uh, about what goes into their ecosystem. Yeah. Um, I think most tech stuff listeners are probably aware of that and that how controlled the environment is in terms of what apps you can download and what contents available sure. there. And, and what's interesting is that they don't necessarily publish what the the criteria are. Exactly. So yeah. it, it's kind of like submitting a film to the MPAA. You don't, yeah. you can never yeah. be sure if you're going to get that hard R, or if you're going to get a PG 13, that sort of thing in a similar way uh, with the Apple uh, uh, app store. You don't, you don't necessarily know, you know what things are going to be, right. uh, uh, what things are just going to glide on by or what things are going to hit a, at a brick wall. It does. It really depends. And so uh, what's interesting is that, yes, um, Comixology was reluctant to uh, distribute some material for a while. And then um, back to this Brian K. Vaughn, who is a pretty well-known guy and has a popular book called Saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, in April of 2013, Saga number 12 came out and it had a very small scene in it. You would you would miss it if you blinked. Mm-hmm. Um of uh, gay sex between two characters. And it was pulled out of the Comixology store the mm-hmm. day that it was released. People were furious about it. Uh, people me- being readers, I mean. Right. Um, Brian K. Vaughn himself issued a statement about it and, and thought that it was Apple, that it was right. because of Apple's censorship. <clears throat> it turned out that actually what was happening was that Comixology in anticipation of Apple's policies, mm-hmm. were doing their own pre-censoring before right. they were submitting stuff. Right. And so they saw that in the issue and they said, there's no way that's going to get past Apple. And they didn't bother submitting it. And then I think like within two or three days, they submitted it to Apple and it was up in the store and everything was forgotten. Mm. But it's one of those things where because of Apple's reputation of the way they handle things in the App Store, I mean, Comixology, when you look at it, it's handling titles from so many different publishers. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is a big business thing. If this were something where suddenly the Comixology app was was discontinued in the Apple store, that would be right. catastrophic. So you can understand. $90 million a year catastrophic. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so you, you, can, you can understand their, 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 uh, the way, why they were being so conservative in that mm-hmm. sense. 
Although certainly some communication from Comixology might have been merited. Yeah. I, I suspect that since then, so that was over a year ago, that yeah. they have developed a much better uh, line of communication between their publishers and themselves regarding content like that. But that yeah. said, there is still content uh, that's produced by fairly big publishers like Image Comics, who are the publisher of Saga, uh, that you cannot buy in app mm-hmm. uh, through, you know, you can't buy anything in app anymore. Right through iOS, but through Android mm-hmm. and other devices. Um, so, like, there's a book that's by um, uh, Matt Fraction and a guy named Chip Zdarsky called Sex Criminals. It's mm-hmm. been pretty popular in the last year or two. And a couple of those issues have been banned from uh, the, the in-app purchases. But if you go to their actual site, uh, Comixology's actual site, you can purchase them there and then download them later to gotcha. your device. It's yeah. just not one that you can get buy directly from the mobile device anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, one of the other, we mentioned the, the idea of DRM as well and yeah. how, how that's a big issue. I mean, that's a big issue with any kind of media that's distributed over the internet. Uh, there are, of course, uh, outlets that are putting out files DRM free so that you don't have any uh, restriction there. That seems to, to be, as a consumer, you want that because it means that you have the freedom to enjoy the content in whatever way you choose. Yeah. Um, for example, you know, I've got a smartphone, I've got a tablet, I've got a laptop, I've got a desktop. And uh, I want, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't have a big household. I don't have other people living with me other than my wife. So it's really just going to be me looking at whatever the content is. And I want to be able to do it wherever. Uh, however, from a creator standpoint, a distributor standpoint, I totally understand the reticence to allow someone to do whatever they want with it. Right. Because what if I'm the guy who I live in a college dorm and... I've got this thing, and now all the buddies that I have in my dorm, not just my dorm room, but my entire dorm, now have it too because I've made copies for them. Right. Uh, That's the fear. Um, As it turns out, the music industry kind of bore this out. If you make something easy enough to purchase and you make it easy enough to consume, people purchase it and they consume it. And the, the number of pirates who are actually illegally stealing stuff is relatively low i mean that's a, a small number comparatively speaking yeah it's and it's shrinking too yeah. um piracy in comics was a big deal before digital comics were sure. uh you know coming around in 2007 because pirate comic pirates that's a weird word mm-hmm. to say mm-hmm. but uh they were scanning the pages in and then making their own pdfs or cbz files sure. and distributing on the torrents and such uh but uh, so and and there was concern over that and how that was going to affect the print industry. But, you know, everybody's still here. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you could go online right now and still find a bunch of piracy sites. Sure. However, um, you're right in that uh, digital comics and the ease mm-hmm. of purchasing it and the better reading experience right. that you get through it. You don't from... have to worry about getting a virus. Yeah. Which yeah, is another exactly. big deal that that actually is true for all forms of media as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's only when you see the resistance from the 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 merchant side or the distributor or the creator side, it's only then when you start to see the rise in piracy because people start yeah. to feel like there's no legitimate way for them to get the thing they want, but they still want that thing. There's actually a really cool story, and I didn't put this in the notes, but I, I, I'd love to tell it to you. Sure. Um, so there's a guy named Steve Lieber who is a comic book artist. He lives in Portland, and he worked on a, a independent book called Underground with a mm-hmm. writer named Jeff Parker. And uh, when their book came out uh, in trade format, Steve realized that on 4chan, 
people were distributing links to pirated versions of Underground. Mm -hmm. And instead of getting upset and uh, yelling at them, what he did was he went over and he started interacting with the community there and engaging with them and saying, oh, hey, like, you know, I just like you to know, like the way that this book works out is that this is how we, you know, this is how I make my money off of it. This is how I make my living. Here's the breakdown. He talked about that traditional breakdown of uh, money between publisher and distributor and creator to them. And Underground saw this huge spike in orders on mm -hmm. Amazon that month. I mean, it was tremendous the people said oh cool we get it this guy you know needs to make a living off this stuff we like his content and they went and paid money for it yeah I, i've seen that kind of story repeated in various forms of media and now we're these days like uh in other kinds of media you're seeing uh patron patreon yeah and uh patrons and patreon are supporting directly supporting the folks who are making the stuff that mm -hmm. they love yeah and uh, i'm a patreon supporter of a couple of different things yeah that, i am too yeah yeah so, and so we're starting to see that there, there really is this this model there the thing that needed to be there was the support system for it to happen exactly and once it yeah. was there it did so it's interesting because you had the the companies vilifying consumers mm -hmm. and the consumers vilifying the companies and then once the the structure was there everyone said oh now we can work together we can yeah, actually do exactly. what we need to and do and it turns out that it's 90 million dollars a year worth of business yes yeah. <laughs> now to yeah. conclude this great the great conversation we have to bring up something that kind of shows the the vulnerability of the comicsology approach i'm specifically talking about an event that happened back in march 2013 the uh, beginning of south by southwest when Marvel uh, decided to do a big event by giving away 700 first issues, uh, and it turned out some people wanted them. Yeah, a lot of people like those Marvel <laughs> comics, and uh, everybody tried to download all 700 of them all at the same time. Now, Christian, let me ask you something. <laughs> when a huge number of people try to access a a limited amount of information on a limited number of servers what typically happens well it crashed yeah yeah <laughs> um and it was not just the marvel comics that were for free that crashed right. but all of the comics available on comiXology in total right which included the comiXology submit books that had launched also mm. at south by southwest so there were a lot of independent creators who were like I already have a hard enough time competing with Wolverine and Spider-Man for dollars. Right. But now, uh, because they, they, they did this big giveaway, mm -hmm. I think Comixology was shut down for like three days, I want to say. And this is, this really goes to show the, the vulnerability of having a cloud-based kind of approach to anything. Yeah. So people even who had purchased stuff, uh, already were having trouble accessing things. They couldn't access things. Yeah, and that's part of the DRM thing, too, that's yeah. been big with Comixology this year, is that a lot of people argued against digital comics for a while because they said, well, at the end of the day, you're just renting your comics. You're not, you don't own them. Right. You don't own a file that you can turn to. It's off in the cloud somewhere. Right. And in the last year, Comixology has twice, I think, uh, made announcements that a number of publishers have gone DRM free. Uh, so you could actually download the file as yep. opposed to just accessing the file. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the process of back downloading my entire archive onto like a right. one terabyte hard drive at my house right now. Um, yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the beauty of the cloud is that it allows you to, uh, to access your content 
on whatever device, you know, that has been authorized for it, mm-hmm. wherever you are. That's the beauty. The downside is that if the cloud service goes down, you don't have access to that material. Yeah. And uh, we, in fact, uh, a very similar thing we could mention. Uh, there was a day, I think it was Tuesday, um, where Google Docs had some issues earlier in the day. And suddenly we couldn't access Google Docs. And a lot of us are using Google Docs now to help create show notes, like what we're doing right, right now. Right, exactly. And yeah. then suddenly you don't have access to that. And you realize this is a brilliant tool until it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. The, and and I think we all have this kind of magical idea that a company as big as Google Can't could fail. never possibly yeah. crash. But it yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah, it does happen. It's It's, again, you know, not to put too much of a negative on cloud computing, because obviously the same sort of problems can happen on a single machine. If I had yeah. if I had all these notes just stored on my computer and my computer crashed, I'd be just as, you know, out of luck. Or also like if a brick and mortar store said we're going to give away 700 Marvel issues right. to every person who walks in the door, you know, like uh, there'd be so many people inside the store it, it, it might fall over. Same sort of thing <laughs> with a same sort of thing with a brick and mortar store saying uh, we're not going to carry this title because we object yeah. to the content. Exactly. It's yeah. it's the sort of thing that does happen. So when it happens digitally, we tend to react in a very specific way. But if you think of it like, well, what if we just had, you know, translate this into an actual physical location? Would we be as surprised if it happened there? And often the answer is no. Right. It's just that yeah. we seem to think there's a different set of criteria to judge the digital experience from the physical. It is that uh, I want it now. Yeah. Uh, sort of mentality that we've become accustomed to with our content, and which is, the fact is that, great. The I fact that it. digital can allow you to have it now is, you know, it's an, like we said, an enabler. If I'm trying to watch Netflix and the ring starts spinning 10 minutes into a movie that I'm watching, I get frustrated. Yeah. But at the same time, I have to acknowledge, you know what, like there's a, how many customers does Netflix have out right. there? And maybe my bandwidth isn't so great or right. something. Yeah. 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 Usually I just get mad at my uh, internet service provider. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a common thing at my house. Well, Christian, thank you so much for coming on the show and for suggesting this, this topic. It was really cool to get into this. And uh, for people who are interested in learning more about your work, mm-hmm. why don't you tell them where to find it? Yeah, uh, the best place to find me is at christiansager.tumblr.com. That's where my personal work is posted, um, the comic stuff that I work on, and also I have links to the content that I work on here at How Stuff Works. Um, but you can find me here at How Stuff Works. Um, I write for and sometimes host brain stuff. I'm currently writing for our newest show, What the Stuff, which I think your first episode debuted what, uh, while I was on ago? vacation. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I used to write for Stuff of Genius and uh, host uh, new episodes of that. But that shows on hiatus while we're working on new content. Yeah. But keep your eyes open. You never know when something that you we put on back. the back shelf comes back mm-hmm. up. Well, Christian, thank you again. And guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, please get in touch with me. Let me know what you think. Send me an email. The address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or drop me a line on Twitter, Facebook, or Tumblr. The handle at all three of those is techstuffhsw. And we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 